Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. I don't like to text because I'm dyslexic and it's always trying to autocorrect and tell me what I'm thinking. I'm like, I already got a wife that does that. <laughs> You can't win that argument between your wife and Siri because one of them has facts and logic and the other one's a computer. We miss entertainment in Vegas. Let's face it, everybody. There's not these great shows out there, but there are a few exceptions. And one of the really best exceptions that you got to see if you come into town is Don Barnhart. You've probably heard of Don. He's got some great shows. First of all, Don, you got a couple of clubs, right, that work around town. Kind of tell us where you're at. Yeah, I've got two uh, residencies, actually, which is kind of silly and unheard of, but uh, I like, uh, you know, to keep busy. Jokester's Comedy Club at Alexis Park, and then we also have Delirious Comedy Club at the Downtown Grand Hotel and Casino. Yeah, so they're both, both nice those... facilities. Uh, really yeah. nice. Like the downtown is kind of fun. Downtown seems like it's the one place that, with all this pandemic stuff, they seem like they're kind of getting through this and all the excitement of the circuit down there. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, you know, it, it's tough on everybody because we we went from fifty percent down to twenty five percent, but the hotel has been so accommodating to give us the extra large ballroom so we can reduce our capacity. So our, our original club is only about sixty seats because we have to have a twenty five foot gap and and whatnot and social distance. We want to make sure people are safe, so we have that in the Fremont room at the Downtown Grand, and as long as we're playing by the rules and keeping everybody safe, I have no problem with opening. You know, even the uh, Fremont Street experience, they're, they're really monitoring people. They're, they're checking people. Um, they're, they're keeping uh, limits on the size of the crowd because we've got to do it safely. You know, nobody really knows what's, what's true and what isn't. We know there is a problem with COVID. We do know that. So as long as we, you know, protect ourselves, uh, we can still kind of get out there and, and live our lives. One of the things I enjoy, and I think right now we're dying for it, is with all this PC culture out there and stuff, the one thing you do is you kind of push the envelope a little bit. I, I heard you compared as uh, a, a cross between George Carlin and Jim Carrey, which is quite a compliment. But really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Carlin would be going absolutely nuts right now, don't you? I do. You know, it's again, good comedy pushes the edge without going over. And that's kind of the difference between uh, what they say, genius and uh, insanity or the razor's edge. <laughs> so, you know, we, we do, I talk about COVID. We don't focus on that, but it's, it's just silly because you take your, uh, for example, you can wear your mask into a place, but when you sit down, you can take it off. But if you stand up, you put it back on. So apparently COVID doesn't affect uh, little people and my genitalia, <laughs> you know, um, you know, my butt's safe from COVID, but if I stand up, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, it just doesn't, it's not logical, and yet it seems to me like some of these people are kind of inventing this as they go, which is part of the problem. They don't seem to know how to deal with it, so we'll just come up with stuff. Yeah, and that's a hard part. So for us as comedians, our job is to kind of, 
you know, shine a flash a flashlight into the in into the underbelly of the world and kind of expose, you know, what everybody's thinking and talking about, you know, and 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 to still make them laugh, you know. I don't I don't get too political, and I I, I don't spend my time on COVID, but we do have to acknowledge the elephant in the room when you walk on stage and there's a 25 foot comedy moat in front of you um, and people go, I don't want to sit in the front row. There is no front row. The front row is halfway across the room. So, you know, we, we have to acknowledge certain things, but then most people really are desperate to laugh right now. And that, and that's the beautiful part is to be able to provide some of that entertainment to them. You know, I also saw, you can go online and, and visit this, this whole dry bar comedy special you do, uh, the spinal disintegr- disintegration of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dry bar is it's really good. I've seen some really good, and you, of course, are one of them. But there's some really good comics there. That's kind of grown out of nowhere, hasn't it? Yeah, there was a need. Uh, you know, everybody wants to laugh, but a lot of people, you know, you're at work, which you should be working, but or if you're with your family, you know, and and uh, I do a lot of cruise ships as well, or I used to anyway. And yeah. the one thing I've always thought: well, if you can be clean, you can work the rest of your life. You know, uh, I'm not against dirty material. I always say dirty jokes like jalapenos. Nobody minds one or two jalapenos, but there's nobody that wants a jalapeno milkshake. <laughs> so with Dry Bar, they just provided clean stand-up comedy. So that way families could watch it. Your kids or grandma could be in the room. And so they had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, I think I was on season four. Uh, they've got over four million viewers, and, and people just people just want to laugh. And so there's, I'm not saying you can't be dirty. Carlin, he, you know, he... he kind of broke the mold, but the, but the whole point is it's got to be funny first. So like I do tours for the military overseas and, and they ask us to keep it clean. And if you do TV, you've got to keep it clean within certain boundaries. So I've been very fortunate that uh, the fan base from dry bar, uh, they're coming out to see shows. Don't you find too, that working clean is actually more of a challenge, right? I mean, sometimes it almost seems too easy to just throw a dirty line and everybody laughs. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, and the problem is people drop the, the, the dirty words, and then it's every other word, and so there's no punch to it. You know, and again, so I have to warn people, you know, when they come to my show, if they saw my dry bar special, that I am doing an adult show. So there will be, you know, some certain topics they might not have uh, seen on dry bar, but I think most everybody is aware of that when they come into, you know, a nightclub in Vegas, it's 21 and over. And like I said, I, I, I try not to... Uh, what, what is Lucy? I love Lucy. You know the grape stomping where they just you know, and that's what you know. They're just uh, dirty word, dirty word, f word, f word. You know, and, and nobody wants to see that. You know, and so that's where I think so many people get into trouble. You get a shock laugh, but then there's nothing after that. So I was so fortunate to start at the Comedy Magic Club down in Hermosa Beach with Seinfeld and Leno and Gary Shanley and. And these guys, all George Wallace, uh, who remains a great friend today, and they're like, man, if you could keep it clean, you could work the rest of your life. Yeah, and yet I look at your website and there's some reviews, and I see Howard Stern, who everybody thinks is a potty mouth and all that. And he goes, <laughs> this guy's really funny. So I, I think that's kind of cool that you can, you can attract both sides of the comedy audience world. Well, I'm, I'm very blessed, I'll tell you that. One thing, if people look up your website, by the way, tell them where your website is. Sure, uh, donbarnhart.com, B-A-R-N-H-A-R-T, and you'll know more than you'll ever want to know about me. I, I'm kind of a social media uh, addict, so I get up there and I, 
you know, I, I try and update. We have a, our, our company, Sin City Salsa. My wife and I make salsa, so we started a little company just to keep us busy during the shutdown. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's all kinds of stuff, video clips. I do hypnotism, uh, a lot of charity work as well. So if uh, anyone's listening, that for first responders and military, we do a lot of work with the charities. Uh, so we're always looking to to do shows to help those that serve out. Yeah, your website shows what kind of guy you are, because I'm looking at it and I'm going, this, is there anything this guy doesn't do? You know. <laughs> now, I want to talk to you about the salsa. Windows. I don't do windows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about the salsa, because I saw that, and it's funny sure. you mentioned jalapenos. Sin City Salsa, it, I can't wait to try it, because I'm reading it, and you put some heat in that, and that sounds like a lot of fun. How did you guys get into that? It's funny because as a struggling artist, when I started, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old down in Los Angeles, uh, I worked in a lot of restaurants. I was a busboy. I cleaned the tables. I did everything I possibly could. And so I, I moved up to prep cook and uh, working with a lot of the different Latino chefs uh, who dominate the restaurant industry in Southern California. I would wash all the vegetables. I'm watching them make their salsa. And I'm like, man, that's just, it's the pico de gallo. It's just fresh salsa. And I just fell in love with it, so I always started making it at home for my, my my girlfriend at the time, and then wife now. And she goes, "Well, if we tweak it a little bit here, do a little bit of that, we can even uh, adapt it a little bit more." So we always made it. We always had it at our parties and whatnot. And people, go, this is great. Oh, make me some. So we make it for our friends, and all of a sudden we go, "Well, maybe we should start doing this on a on a bigger basis." And when we came to Vegas, we noticed um, a lot of the Mexican restaurants here. They had a tomatoes and onions, but it never had that, oh, that, that flavor. And, and even though we have a spicy version, we have uh, mild, medium, hot, and demon's ghost, which will, you know, it's like two devils dancing on your tongue. We, uh, it, there's still flavor underneath. It's not something that's going to put a hole in your head, uh, but it definitely we wanted to keep that flavor. So we started making sensitive salsa just during the, the shutdown. Everything online businesses just kind of took off. So if people like salsa, sincitysalsa.com, that's our other site. Uh, and it's, I'll be sure to send you a jar, man. Now, I would depends. love that. You know, I think our, our audience across the country, they don't have to make a trip to Vegas to get it, and they can get it anyway, I mean, you know, the, through the website, right? Yeah, we ship it out uh, nationally. We don't, we don't ship it out overseas yet. That's another hurdle that we're working on. But it's jarred, um, and you can, you can see it at sincitysalsa.com and order it. And the more you order, the better the deal is, because we want to, now, it is, it is a little expensive, I'll be honest, because it's fresh, organic, handcrafted salsa. So we make each batch by hand, um, and we make small amounts, but we make sure the vegetables are all organic and all fresh. And it's, it's delicious. It's low in sodium. That's the other thing. We wanted to make a healthy version. I use it on my salads. I don't use ranch dressing anymore. I'm, I just I dump my salsa on my salad. And I'm good to go. No, it's become like America's number one condiment now. People love yeah. it, and you want the good stuff, so it's worth it. So we'll, we'll we'll remind people again that before we go. But another thing you do is write books, and it, it was to the point, Don. That I'm looking at this. I go, oh come on, there's no way. So I actually went on to Amazon. And said, no, he's written all these books. Where do you get the time yeah. to do that and put do stand up and hypnotism and you name it. Well, I, I always found, uh, you know, growing up, I was kind of going down uh, some unproductive roads as a kid. And then I finally started getting into a little self-help and therapy. And, and one of the things was just, uh, what's the old saying, you know, the devil has time for idle hands or something. I, I didn't have time to waste. And so I started uh, reading about hypnotism to rewrite my inner dialogue. And, and 
a lot of people keep picking the scab in life. We have problems. And basic therapy, they listen to you and they go, oh, yeah, that's terrible. How do you feel about that? With hypnosis and NLP and these other different techniques, it's a fast track to change that inner dialogue. We all have problems. But the trick is don't keep picking the scab. Find your point of success and focus on that. They say if you shoot for the stars and you come up short, at least you'll be further along than not shooting for anything at all. And so I try to keep myself so busy by finding other projects and things to jump into, and writing books was another one. Um, I've got a skill with comedy. I've been very fortunate, blessed, and successful with it. So I interviewed all my friends, George Wallace, agents, managers, bookers, other comedians about what it, you need to, to do stand-up comedy because I, I felt there were no books on that. There are books on tech, how to write a joke, but there were no really encompassing books about that. So that's how I came up with the first book. And then I did a few stories. Uh, and I know I'd always been a writer, so uh, just comes the other two you. books just came out of that. Yeah, that's terrific. Well, the, the book Finding Your Funny, which kind of talks about that, that's really interesting because stand-up is different. It's different than somebody that maybe can be a comic actor and so forth. I mean, there's, as you say, there's some skills – you got to have guts, let's say, first of all, to be a stand-up comic, because it's not easy to get up in front of people. And if they don't laugh, I can't imagine, but I would think it's like, oh, how do you go to the next joke? Yeah, that's where most people get stuck, because one joke leads to the other. So, you know, I, I find so many people try and uh, write a whole chunk of material and go up there with a five-minute chunk. Well, if the first joke doesn't work, you're dead in the water. So... Start off with small jokes. Um, and I remember once when I was a young comic back in the 80s, um, I was working up here in Vegas, and Carlin was working in the main room upstairs. It was a Catch a Rising Star. And we went to see him. He goes, oh, you guys are the comics? Oh, I'll try and get down and watch it one night. Yeah, sure, right. And, <laughs> and sure enough, Carlin comes down and watches us before his show. And he comes up after me. He goes, hey, man, you know that joke you do about the obese police? Uh, he goes, that's going to be a bit. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, it's, you've got a nugget of a joke. Just keep working that, and that will develop into a bit, which, as it turns out, he was so so amazingly uh, insightful. It's a seven-minute chunk of my act about stupidity and lawsuits and things. And, and the joke is, if drunk people can sue a bar, then fat people should be able to sue an ice cream parlor. Right. And that's all the joke was, and now it's a seven-minute chunk, and, and Carlin had kind of guided me without even knowing it. That's kind of fun how those things kind of take off, and... I guess that's kind of the dream of all comics. I mean, you think of Jeff Foxworthy, that whole thing. You might be a redneck, and he made a whole right. career out of that. Or, or you know, he's a talented guy. I don't mean it that way. But it, oh, it, it was course. a start no, no. that everybody knows. Yeah, it's a, it's a one nugget that'll, that'll push you over the edge into uh, perpetual motion. And so I've always thought as long as you keep moving, and I always use the term falling forward, people go, oh, so you, people give up. They, they fail once and they quit. And failure, to me, is learning what not to do. Same thing with a joke. So if a joke doesn't work, rewrite it. Maybe cut the setup down. Maybe it's too wordy. Maybe you need to clarify or get the audience to see the world through your eyes and understand what it is you're talking about. So failure is actually a great thing to teach us and move forward. The same thing is, is, is with all aspects of life. You know, we keep learning as we grow. Well, you know, they always say... You need a place to go where you can be bad, and I guess that's part of it too. I mean, some jokes sound great in the pre in the in the brain, right? <laughs> sure. And they just don't come yeah. out. <laughs> oh man, it is not a, a night that goes by. I go, man, that sounded so much better in my head. What was I thinking? 
you know, and that that's the fun part. You go, well, it seemed funny when I wrote it. <laughs> yeah. And I always, like, I was teaching stand-up. Uh, I'm just, I'm so busy right now. But one of the things I always talk to my students about was, if you think it's funny, it is. You just have to learn how to get the rest of the world to see it through your perspective. Right. And that brings up another question. You've worked all over. You started in Southern California. You know, you do a lot in Vegas and so forth, kind of your home base. Now, how is the Vegas crowd versus other crowds? Uh, some people think it's tougher because you got a lot of competition. On the other hand, at least before all this pandemic stuff, it used to put you in a pretty good mood when you landed. So uh, what do you think in terms sure. of crowds? Well, honestly, if you can play Vegas, you can play anywhere. Because it's, it, say you play San Diego. The crowds are all from San Diego or Houston. They're, they tend to be predominantly from that area where Vegas has some, you might have a person from Omaha, someone from New York, someone from Bangladesh in your audience, you know, so you have to play to everybody. And that's the hardest thing is to make sure your material works for everywhere. And that's how I kind of became a professional comic. I was, I was hosting, I got a job as the house MC at this club in Hermosa. And Leno said, listen, if you want to be a comic, a real comic, you got to go on the, on the road and it's the old play, does it play in Peoria? Mm-hmm. He said, you got to go on the road and see if your material works everywhere. And ironically, the next day I quit my job and I started doing stand up full time. This was back in 1987, you know, um, and, and that's what it was. You've got, and so Vegas crowds, you get a little bit of everything here. And if it works here, you then, then it's going to kill pretty much anywhere. It's really fascinating. And you, you've done this for such a long period of time. I guess there's always that challenge to keep the act fresh, right? Come up with new stuff. Is yeah, that something you're sure. constantly writing? I mean, how much does the, the writing part come in before you even take it out to try yeah. it out? Well, for myself, I find that uh, I have to go experience life. So I'm always trying new things because that's the fun part of life, to talk about stuff and, and to keep material fresh. Now, it's funny with the pandemic, everyone had been shut down seven, eight months. You know, we're all on this weird sabbatical. So getting back on stage the first couple of nights, every comment that I've talked to, like, oh, my gosh, I can't remember my act. I remember the idea. I got a joke about LASIK surgery. How do I get there? Oh, my gosh. So we all started going back and listening to our old tapes and, and, and trying to get the highlights of our show, along with new material. The new material is easy. It's the old material I couldn't remember because I had to go I was watching old videotapes from Evening at the Improv, you know. Yeah. And, oh, there's a great joke. And, oh, that, and most jokes, if you write a good joke, it'll last forever. You could maybe update it. Uh, maybe the politicians are different. Um, but you can still always update those. Bob Hope was a great example that he just, he would just, the same kind of premises over and over and over again. And of course he had, you know, the the greatest writers and comedy writing for him. So that always helps. You know, that's a good question. As I think of it, do you watch other comedians? I mean, you, you mentioned Lena was uh, helpful. You, you have some as friends like George Wallace and so forth. But, I mean, do you try to watch people you like? Are you looking for not just the joke? It's not a matter of trying to take the joke, but rather just the approach and maybe something you see different that you haven't seen before that you like. Oh, 100%. You know, I find it interesting where some comics go, I don't watch any comics. I don't want to be influenced. But we're all watching. I look at it like a professional athlete. If you're watching some guy break a record, that pushes you and inspires you to be better than you were before. So it's not that I watch another comic for material or things like that, but, but their approach has, has, has things, has, has the world changed. Like when Seinfeld was, 
in the 80s, hey, you ever notice dogs and cats are different? What's up with that? You know? Yeah. So the style of comedy has changed. There's a lot more storytelling involved. There's still joke jokes, um, and there's still basic underlying principles, but I always watch uh, the best of the best to be inspired. And, and honestly, I watch the worst of the worst to, to see where they failed. And I use that to point out, oh, okay, well, this was too long of a setup, or, or this, ooh, he went dirty early, or he lost the crowd because... He didn't set it up right. So I think we can constantly learn and, and be influenced by those that are out there uh, breaking new ground, so to speak. Well, finally, I want to talk about your comedy hypnosis show, because I know there are some people, <laughs> believe it or not, Don, that are kind of afraid, like, oh, what's he going to pull? How do you do that? Because I know <laughs> the, the hypnosis is real, right? So kind of it, tell us how you mix is. those two. Well, that's the interesting part. Uh, it, it comes down to trust. Um, let me backtrack. It is so real. Hypnosis is so real that on certain military bases, I'm not allowed to do hypnosis because of security clearances that I have to sign a waiver and release forms, uh, at certain bases that don't have, uh, high tech weaponry. I'm able to do hypnosis. Hypnosis is, I, I say we use it in basic training. We break you down and then we build you back up. So in a comedy hypnosis show, people want to volunteer and experience. They want to let loose. So we do have people that are really enthusiastic, and there are people that are holding back. And they usually have to dismiss those people because they're not ready to go. But I always try and reassure people, you're never 100% out of control. I'll never cross your moral boundaries. I'm here to help you. I'm here to teach you a technique you can use later to improve your golf game, to quit smoking, to, to achieve your goals, uh, to break bad habits. So I keep it relatively safe and fun. Now, there are dirty hypnotists out there, and they do a great job at that. And I've done an adult show as well. It's just not my forte. And so um, it, once you see one of the dirty shows, you go, wow, I'm not getting on stage. I don't want to do that. But then there are people that go, I really want to get on stage and do something stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I know those people. I've been out with them. Let me ask yeah. you, is there... Most of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, and, and that leads to that question. Is there a type that you look for, not necessarily somebody, I, I don't mean like they look dumb or anything like that, but rather just somebody yeah. that seem like they're open to it more than others. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't pick people out. I let them volunteer, and then I'll, I'll dismiss people that just aren't ready to go, and sometimes people get coerced to go up there with their friends, or sometimes people will, will jump up there to get their friend to go up, then they'll, they'll, go, they'll look at me and go, uh-uh. And I can see it in their eyes. They're not going to participate. So, yes, you have to be open to it. In fact, there's a uh, download of my personal power CD that I put up online at, at my website as well uh, to help people. And you can download it for free because I, I want people to experience that because hypnosis changed my life to be able to live my dreams, pursue my goals, and, 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 and be a healthy, happy individual. Uh, and so I put that up for, as a free download at my website. DonBarnhart.com because I want people to, to really experience, wow, you can change your life. You can use some of these techniques and tools to improve yourself and to, to not get focused on the negative and be drawn down by just bad habits and low self-esteem, etc., no, it sounds terrific. You should really go to his website, DonBarnhart.com. Uh, he's got more there than you can imagine, and you, you'll, you'll get something <laughs> out of it. Uh, let's also tell them about the salsa again. If they want to get that great salsa, and we're always on the lookout for that. I mean, once, once you get used to that kind of thing, it's like barbecue sauces. You're always looking for that next great sauce. So Right, right. Well, there's Sin City Salsa. Uh 
We have immorally mild, maliciously medium, hellaciously hot, and demons ghost for people that really want to push the uh, the edge of safety <laughs> on their tongue. It sounds like fun. That's a good, what a way to go, you know. And if worst comes to worst, you just kind of knock it down a notch. No big deal. Don Barnhart, thank you so much. And folks, you can see him. Uh, and, and we're coming into Vegas. Where do we see you one more time? At Delirious Comedy Club or Jokesters Las Vegas, uh, and you will know more information. And if I'm not there, I've got great headliners that we all rotate around. So you're always going to see a great show. That's fantastic. Thanks, Don. Hope to have you on again. My pleasure. Thank you. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.